Welcome to Word Magic, the podcast that explores how the energy of words can shape our lives, our work, and our self-worth. I'm Elena Lipson, your host and believer in the power of resonance over grammar. As a mom, a wife, and a copywriter with over 17 years of experience in the online digital marketing space, I've witnessed the transformative impact of well-chosen words. In marketing, the energy behind our words can either attract or repel potential clients. In our personal lives, words can deepen bonds or divide them. Join me on this journey of self-discovery and wordplay, and let's unlock the magic of language together. This is Word Magic with Elena Lipson, and I'm thrilled you're here. Let's play. Hello, hello, hello. Are you there? I I am. Yay. <laughs> okay, so y'all are getting like the preview to the first time we've used this tool, and it literally starts recording right away. So whatever's going to happen is exactly perfect. <laughs> I already had to switch rooms twice. Oh, no. Because someone started recording, and now I could see my dog trying to get in the room. So we're just going to go with it. And whatever the audio is like, just please go with us here. We're going to work on this. I'm going to have to see what this sounds like. Come on in, dog. Okay. So one dog in the room out of three. We'll just keep it to that. <laughs> so why don't we just dive in because we've got some really good stuff to cover. And my friend, an amazing somatic therapist, is joining me for the first ever interview on the Word Magic podcast. I'm really excited. We've been talking about this for couple of months now, I think. Yeah. And when I made my list of who I want to interview, the way I do it is I, I choose the, the topic that I want to explore. And then I instantly think of a person for it. <laughs> so it was pretty obvious that this word embodiment was going to be best served with Anna's brilliant therapy background and everything I know about her. And so I'm so excited. So let's first I'm going to just introduce you a little bit and I'll give you a chance to add anything that's missing. So first I already mentioned that Anna, can you please say your last name? Because I always say it in my head. <laughs> I, I was just thinking, I was, I was thinking to myself, does she know how to say my last name? I think name? I do, but I'm going to let you say it. <laughs> it's Kwiatinski. Kwiatinski. Okay. I got it. I got it. Okay. Anna Kwiatinski. So I know you as of course a friend, but you're also a brilliant somatic therapist with a yoga background, which makes total sense for someone who is, you know, interested in somatics and embodiment. And you moved to the Pacific Northwest after a lifelong of wanting to move here. I, I want to hear about why too, because I have my own reasons for moving here, but you did it following a pretty, you know, intense divorce situation, which I'll let you share as much as you want to of that. Mm -hmm. But that's where I met you here in the Pacific Northwest when you popped in next door. Yes. <laughs> and we almost instantly connected when our dogs magnetically were drawn to each other. <laughs> we had kind of an intense first meeting, which led to walks and talks and drinks and dinners and friendship, which is ever evolving. And I'm just super, super grateful to know you. And you are one of the most like, and you call it making a romantic life, but you make this really beautiful, intentional life. And I know you're committed to your beautiful, slow, authentic, sensual life, which all resonate with my body very deeply. So mm -hmm. I think it's, it's really speaks to how you've intentionally created and built this life that I've seen over the last, I don't know, I guess it's about a year now, almost yeah. a year. Yeah. So not only do you create beautiful experiences 
like that new moon dinner. Was it new moon or full moon? I can't even remember now. <laughs> but it was one of the most beautifully executed dinners with just like, I still dream about that anchovy butter oh. <laughs> and the flowers. And so, but that to me is part of embodiment, right? So you didn't yeah. just put food on the table, you created an experience, which is part of being in the exact place where you are and creating an experience for yourself, your senses, the people around you, it creates an actual physical experience of embodiment. And that's just one aspect of it. We can, we're going to touch on several different aspects. So I would love to have you share anything else you want to add about your background. And I'd love to hear your definition of the word embodiment. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for all of your very lovely words. Yeah. Um, our friendship has been a, a, I would say a stronghold for me as I've transitioned my life out here. Um, and I'm really grateful that, uh, we connected so promptly. Um, that felt <laughs> like one of the kind of first nods from the universe as I landed out here. Um, just to really quickly speak to what drew me out here. Um, I came out here in college once, um, and I had never really experienced this before. And I, of course, didn't have the kind of awareness or vocabulary around it at the time. But I, something inside me was just like, I need to end up here. Um, and many twists and turns and <laughs> pivots and relationships later and an entire decade. Um, I've, I've landed out here and it has proven to be incredibly grounding and fruitful and everything I hoped it'd be. I, well, I'm glad you landed out here too. And I have the complete opposite story, which is I uh, flew out here and instantly hated it. It's <laughs> like 18 years ago and now I love it. So I had like the reverse of it. Mm -hmm. I had to sort of, you know, become friends with the Pacific Northwest. And now I, I really honor what it, what it, you know, I actually, you know, it's interesting because I think part of what we're talking about embodiment is learning to be where you are in your body, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of your external circumstances. So I think that really is a powerful nod to how you can come to a place and to yourself and learn to be in it in a whole new way. So I'm glad you landed here as well. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about the mind body connection, because we hear a lot about mindset and mindfulness. And recently I picked up a book, which I think you'd read too. I'm like, this is amazing. It's called bodyfulness. So it's a play mm -hmm. on the word mindfulness. And it really speaks to how lacking, first of all, we are in understanding that it's not just a mindfulness connection, it's a bodyfulness connection, which means landing in your body, which is connected to your mind. You can't separate it. You can't mm -hmm. just be mindful without being in your body and you can't be body full without being in your mind. So I'd love to hear your take on the mind body connection and how it is relevant to the embodiment and somatic work you do. And also I'd love to have you define somatic as well, because I think we hear about it in the world of like movement, but I don't know if everyone really, you know, understands what it deeply is. So I'd love to hear your take on that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do love that book and I think it is very digestible. Um, and it's, you know, it's not too dense, um, which means it's that much more applicable. Um, but as I was kind of sitting with your, you know, your notes for what you intended today, um, because I typically talk about embodiment, like in a broad conceptual sense, I was like, what would my most succinct definition be? And I, I think that kind of what I really landed on is the, the state and or practice of letting the sensations 
in your body guide your lived experience. Um, in, in regard to, you know, so much in especially Western cultures, we live such an intellectual life um, and we let logic and reason rule. Um, and if I, I tell my clients all the time that logic and reason are a foreign language to your body. And, you know, that's why, you know, if you've ever tried to tell someone to calm down, it doesn't work <laughs> yeah. um, because that, you know, it just like there's a barrier there. It doesn't, it doesn't um, compute. And so when you are communicating with your body or your body's trying to communicate with you, it's through a language it understands, which is your sensory systems. And so, you know, when I speak about living a sensual life, um, a lot of people's minds and then like immediately jump to sensual equals sexual. Um, but sensual really is just engaging your senses um, through like letting your body lead both in like an emotional sense as, and then also in a nourishment sense. And, you know, a sensual life could be, you know, a beautiful dinner or um, wearing fabrics that you really enjoy um, or also, you know, noticing what happens in your body in an interaction with another person. And if that's informing you about, you know, a direction that you should or shouldn't lean into. Oh, there's so much that you said there that I want to like really nail into like detail. But I think one of the most important things that you that stood out is the difference between sensuality like sexuality, where, what makes you feel more sensual and living a sensual, i.e. like sensory based life, right? Uh -huh. Because I do agree so much of what we do is what do you think about that? And I've even had to change my language around that. How do I feel about that? Or even asking other people, what does that feel like? How do you feel about that? Uh -huh. Or even with clients, what do you think about what you just read? Or well, uh -huh. how does that feel? Because for me, I really value embodied copywriting, embodied writing, embodied experiences. And to me, it's like that shift of your mind assessing the value or the return on investment or the quality of it or the measurement of it versus uh -huh. let's, what if we started with how does that feel? So I yeah. love that distinction between like a sensual life is one where you are aware of your surroundings. What does uh -huh. it smell like? What does it taste like? And of course, everyone has different you know, levels of sensory awareness. And some people have limited senses like hearing or sight. And that's, that's part of our human experience, where other senses get elevated, well, at least that's the, the myth, right? If you can't see, maybe your hearing gets elevated, but uh -huh. I'm not going to quite go into that. But we all have some sense, whether it's touch, uh -huh. or seeing or smelling. And as someone who lost my sense of smell and taste for months when I got uh -huh. COVID, it was a heightened awareness of the lack of connection with my uh -huh. So I had to look at it and like think about it and talk about it. So it was a really interesting perspective. So, okay, I love all the distinctions you made. Um, what does what does it look like in the real world? Like if someone says, and I actually I I get this a lot. Gosh, you're so embodied. <laughs> like, well, I'm always curious. What does that mean to you? Because I know what it means to me, right? So, mm -hmm. what is embodiment to you? Like, what do you what does it look like when someone or you feel embodied versus not feeling embodied? Mm, yeah. I mean, it is so nuanced. Um, I'll just, you know, say that as kind yeah. of closure. But I, I guess for me, when I feel that I'm in a state of embodiment, um, you know, the first word that comes to mind is I feel really grounded. And I 
I think a big piece of it is that I feel at home in myself in a way that allows me to show up authentically and in my integrity, regardless of what's happening outside of me, where when I'm feeling less embodied, and I maybe have handed over kind of that sense of agency to do I get to feel okay about me based on how I'm perceiving other people feel about me? Mm. And so I think that, you know, when you're living an embodied life or when you have, you know, and, you know, it kind of comes and goes, like, it's not like you're consistently in this, like, magnificent state of embodiment. Um, we're only human. But um, I think that the presence that's felt from other people, or, and I can say this, like, I mean, even when I'm in, in your presence, um, there's this kind of, like, quiet assuredness. And um, I think a lot of it has to do with your when you're embodied, it's easier to be in your power um, because you are present with your lived experience and you're willing to say, or to not even like verbally, but you're willing to acknowledge to yourself, like, oh, I'm going to withhold that piece of information mm -hmm. or, oh, I just, I can't put my finger on it, but I feel like I'm picking up something on this and I'm going to lean into that. Or no, actually, I feel comfortable saying no because my body's telling me to say no and I'm okay with making other people uncomfortable instead of kind of handing over that, um, essentially, yeah, like the agency to, especially as women, we've been socialized to prioritize external peace as opposed to internal peace. And so I think it really does come down to embodiment as the foundation that allows me to live a life of integrity because I'm honoring the information that I'm processing mm -hmm. regardless of if people are going to clap for it or, or not, or if they're going to feel okay with it or not, or if it makes the room a little bit awkward, et cetera. And, and it's less of me kind of garnering, am I okay or not based on external factors. I love that. So what came up for me, and, and let me know if this is sort of what you intended for it to come through, was there's a sense of, first of all, presence in the room. You're present when you're embodied, and you're mm -hmm. almost listening with your body, not just with your ears, right? You're actually mm -hmm. watching for reactions, and you're also able to then discern whether something needs to be spoken, whether you need to listen better, ask a question, um, be in that even be in that room in general uh, first of all like you have the permission to leave a room if it's not where you want to be but you won't know that mm -hmm. unless you're present in your body and feeling things and getting to know that which we'll practice a little later because we talked about this is I think it's really important to kind of sense what that mm -hmm. feels like but if I'm hearing you correctly it's this ability to listen with your body and discern your choice of, mm -hmm. say, of speaking of witnessing of uh maybe even like confronting something that that awkwardness like even saying like mm -hmm. gosh this feels awkward can break the awkwardness right like uh -huh. it can just it, you can just speak to it like wow what you just said made me feel really like hold on like I need to process this is uh -huh. is to me feels like somebody who's embodied versus uh -huh. like oh god that didn't feel good okay let's just move on you know it's like that that distinction of having the right and the agency I love that word having the agency and the capacity to sit with something, 
really understand what it feels like and where in your body because embodiment happens from like toes to nose, right? It's the mm-hmm. whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think most people would agree they've experienced like chills when someone sub- said something or they're like, oh, it feels, I feel happy, but maybe they haven't really taken time to understand what happiness actually feels like in their body or what, um, what constriction feels like that mm-hmm. results of that is the result of someone saying something to you that feels off but you can't quite get it right so like mm-hmm. I love I love the practice of intuition I love the practice of just being in your body I guess that's why I'm drawn to dance and music and because I feel things and I think yeah. we all do and to a certain d- degree we turn it down like a dial right but mm-hmm. this embodiment practices like we're going to touch on in a little bit can help you turn that dial up and really understand what it feels like to be in your body. So what are, I think I mentioned a couple of benefits of being embodied, of having embodiment as a practice, which we'll talk about what that could look like as well. But so some of the ones that I mentioned are being in a conversation, being fully present, being able to respond, being able to discern, being able to just be in your own body and mm-hmm. have your own experience. What are some other, like as you're working with clients or as you're you know practicing or you're leading a retreat, like how do you see potential benefits of someone who chooses to practice more embodiment techniques? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the biggest one and certainly one that is most foundational, I would say, is learning the art of a pause. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so much is lost in a sense of urgency and in a lot of ways um you know our capitalistic culture and then therefore our own internalized capitalism um really lends itself to that because if you just stay in the mode of doing and what's what's convenient what's quick what's next what like go 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 you not only do not check in but you know it keeps you kind of in that state of like what's convenient, what's next, what's most efficient, which a lot of times those do, those things don't then align with what's aligned, what's authentic, what's within my integrity. Um, and it's hard to access that at that pace. And so the more that you can build in a practice of pausing and um, the more the more access you have to the information that your body is giving you, Um, and I think like, you know, a really easy grab that I, you know, suggest to a lot of my clients is something as simple as when you go to the bathroom at work, you're already, you're already by yourself. You're already sitting on the toilet. No one's already like, everyone's not asking anything of you for that amount of time. Take an extra 10 seconds and take five really deep breaths before you go back into the room. And, you know, it's kind of like that habit stacking, like you're already doing one thing, you're already kind of removed yourself, and people are already willing to honor like your biological needs. So how can you add to that? Just to kind of have like that little snack of coming back to yourself. Um, But I think too, even like think about the, the power if you've ever been in a room with someone, and someone's like asked them a hard question. And they they kind of take a deep breath and go, Hmm. And then there's just a pause before they answer. And it's amazing to see how squirrely and uncomfortable the witnesses of that conversation get, or even the asker of that question, because we're so used to immediately filling the void. And there is so much power in saying, I'm willing 
to myself maybe sit in some discomfort of silence and therefore also essentially a byproduct of it is other people experiencing discomfort so that I can actually tend to this question or this conversation or this interaction or this relationship or this interview or whatever it is from a like grounded and seated place that feels like me as opposed to just keeping up the pace for the sake of keeping the pace. God, it is so good. I mean, so first of all, you started by sharing the, the idea of the urgency culture, right? Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, I mean, I relate to that for sure. I think there's like this sense of the never ending, especially when you own your own business or you're, you know, creative or whatever, like there's always something to do. There's never mm-hmm. nothing to do. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. which is not really, not really accurate. And as, you know, as someone who values like inspiration and insight and like eureka moments, oh my gosh, those never happen when you're sitting with a pen and making them happen. They happen when you're doing something altogether different, right? So mm-hmm. like that urgency feels really important, like urgency versus slowness mm-hmm. and how we just undervalue that so much. And in fact, I was just telling my husband the other day, I'm like, I did nothing yesterday. Like I did a few things. I'm like, I didn't do shit yesterday. <laughs> He's like, good. I'm like, oh, I trained you so well. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like we've talked about it a lot, how I have this real, like, I just want to fill time. And even though I'm really good at not doing anything I, when I, when I really focus on it, but the urgency is so pervasive where mm-hmm. I, I, and I've explored this quite a bit, like worthiness, production, you know, what am I creating? What am I making? Like, there's so much weird connection around this, especially I think for women, especially where we are like, val- we self-value based on our output a lot of times, especially mm-hmm. for in business. And so I love this idea of like urgent, really understanding where that next like um, drive to create comes from. Is mm-hmm. it from urgency, feeling like you're missing out? Is mm-hmm. it from this sense of like, I'm behind? Or is it yeah. really inspiration that's driving you forward? It's a really good discernment. And I'm sure there's embodiment practices around that. And then the other thing you said, which is so powerful, is being comfortable with the pause, <laughs> both, mm-hmm. both in your life and your work, because that is truly where like inspiration bubbles up. Mm-hmm. But also, like in conversation, like yeah, huh, silence can be really nice, and giving yourself and the other person a chance to answer, right? Because you're right. I think people do get very uncomfortable with a pause taker, <laughs> <laughs> and I've I've learned that skill through speaking as well, like on stages where, God, that pause is really potent because mm-hmm. the audience is like almost leaning in to to hear what you want to say versus but it, it also. Just kind of, It also allows like the pause also allows for the things that you're saying to land. Yes. Um, yes, You know, I think that so much of urgency comes from a sense of scarcity and insecurity of, Mm. you know, I have to fill, I have to prove, I have to earn, I have to give, I have to like lean in and perform and et cetera. And, um, you know, your willingness to say, this is what I'm offering And then letting that like sit and, you know, not following it up with, but this or, and this, or this is why, or this is my reasoning. It, you know, kind of even like similar mentality around, you know, the idea of no is a full sentence. Mm -hmm. 
you know, can you, can you show up? And then, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, embodiment too is letting yourself get comfortable with being uncomfortable because so much of what, uh, what means we are showing up in an aligned and authentic way is going to be incongruent to how you've been socialized. And that's where the discomfort, that's like your job is to become comfortable with the discomfort of stepping out of other people's expectations of you. Mm. Can you speak a little bit more about the socialization piece? Like what, what are the top, like one or two things you see most with people who are coming to you and dealing with this sort of sense of having to speak and do and move and create and, you know, without really taking that stillness pause. Well, I mean, I think, you know, people pleasing, how mm. many, how many times do you say yes when you really want to say no? How, how many times do you push through when you want to reschedule? How many times do you, you know, put yourself on a volunteer board when you are basically drowning already or, um, you know, accepting things that are more than you have capacity for and essentially denying your own needs for the upkeep of people thinking that you're a good and benevolent and magnanimous woman. Oh, can I just pause right there? <laughs> I think this is such a huge, my whole body just got chills because I think what you just said is so powerful. Denying your own needs for the illusion, for the people pleasing, for the meeting someone else's needs, even though you're already stretched, even though you're already mm-hmm. overbooked. And you know what? Even if you're not overstretched and overbooked, you just mm-hmm. don't want to. And that yes. is okay. And I think you and I have found a balance of doing this in a really beautiful way. If we have plans, you're like, so not going to work today. <laughs> like, fabulous, go enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, because that takes two grounded, confident people to be in a relationship to say, and I'm not going to push through and and I'm not feeling it today. And I'm really just going to snuggle in bed and read a book. And mm-hmm. or I'm just not even going to tell you why I just, you know, maybe mm-hmm. out of courtesy and like friendship, we will. But I think it's such a really potent, honesty to have to say this is not feeling aligned today let's try again and we were supposed to record this last week uh-huh. and it was like just didn't work I'm like no problem let's just do it again and yep. it's it could because I think that's the piece of like embodiment equals deep deep alignment uh-huh. and you have to be able to listen back to what you said at the beginning you have to have a sensual sensory experience with your body to be able to hear, okay, am I like, is this like a little introverted fear-based moment that I'm having here? And I know Mm -hmm. once I get dressed, I'm going to have fun, like putting on your sneakers and going to the gym and rocking it. Or am I just like, so I I just need replenishing and I'm not going to do that by being out today. I'm going to do that by being in, or maybe do you want to come over and snuggle on the couch and we'll have a drink? Like there are alternative ways to honor yourself while still keeping the connection. I think that is so, so powerful. Like true embodiment means I can say yes as a complete sentence. I can say no as a complete sentence too. (laughs) I think that's a huge piece. I think something that I've seen like in my own life um, as well as with my clients is when you're willing to show up in that way and and kind of, you know, thumb your nose at society's expectation that you're just this eternal summer of output, um, you give everyone else permission to do the same. It's like you, mm. you saying, hey, I don't have it in me and I'll let you know when I do. And when I do, I'm going to show up and I'm going to rock it. Yes. Yes. That That is such a juicy and empowering invitation to especially all the women in your life to say, wait, 
I can do that. I can honor if I don't have it in me. I can honor my capacity. And I think your ability to essentially dive down into your body and assess, like, what am I working with here? Like, what percentage am I at? Would Will this fuel me or will this deplete me? And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, when we push through and we don't honor our capacity, um, my good friend, Kate uses the term of like borrowing from future you. Mm. And if, if we're always borrowing from future us, we are never going to really land and be present. And it's always going to cost us something that like we're constantly paying a debt on. And um, I think it just is a really beautiful invitation to the people in your life. Um, I think also too, there's an element where, if I show up knowing I'm going to half-ass it, that's disrespectful to you. Mm-hmm. And so it might feel uncomfortable to say I don't have it in me because there's a vulnerability there. There's, you know, that could be perceived as weakness or, you know, you're not ambitious enough or whatever. But there's also a subtextual communication of I don't care enough about your time or your experience of me to kind of listen to what I'm bringing to the table or not. Yeah, I love that because it is a two-way experience, right? Like if you're pushing through and showing up when you don't want to, Mm -hmm. like that's not a favor to me. Like don't do me any favors, right? Like let's be fully clear. Like I want you when you're here and you want to be here. And if it's not where you want to be, that's great too. That's really good information, right? It's all information. Mm Versus feeling like we're, again, people pleasing and other people's opinions and their perspective is so much more important than ours because that is how we've been socialized. So we really have to untie those knots Uh and come back to these practices. So I did want to just maybe quickly, not so quickly, let's kind of see where it goes. But one of the things that you mentioned when we were talking about this topic was uh, stillness versus movement when dealing uh-huh. with anxiety. Uh-huh. And I, I can I can sort of for me, I've developed practices over the years where I for me dancing is a huge one, shaking it off is a huge one. We'll talk a little bit about that. But then there's times where I just want to like lie on the floor. <laughs> like uh-huh. but I think having a cache or cache, however you pronounce it, of practices that address both. Because I think uh-huh. sometimes we get so used to doing to overcome anxiety or fear, but maybe the doing is not the thing. Like there's another side to it. So can you talk a little bit about like stillness versus movement or even slow versus fast embodiment practices? And then we'll give everyone an opportunity to practice a quick little like embodiment, I guess, exercise that I think is a really great one to use wherever you are, whether you're in the grocery store or at a board meeting, whatever, anything in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, something that I've definitely noticed with my clients is, you know, there's a lot of verbiage out there around, you know, if you're anxious, you need to meditate, or if you're anxious, you need to find mindfulness. And I think that those are, you know, beautiful, and they have their time and place. But when you think about anxiety from a somatic perspective, some alarm has gone off in your body. And that you know, the alarm is danger, you know, there, there's a threat around, whether it's real or perceived, um, your body is reacting as if it's very real. And, you know, from a physiological standpoint, you have a, you're completely doused in 
hormones that prepare your body for action. And, you know, I think that if you don't then have to run away from a bear, for, for, for instance, um, you know, all of that energy that your body produced to prepare to save your life um, needs to go somewhere. And a lot of times then the next place it goes is it creates overthinking um, and it kind of goes up and that's when you start to intellectualize your anxiety. Um, and so I think in those experiences, um, honoring the primal aspect of what's happening and giving your body an opportunity to dispel some of that energy and to release some of that anxiety through movement um, and then coming to a place of stillness. So I think that it's kind of a both and like offering or creating the opportunity for your body to complete whatever cycle it thinks it's in and tending to that stress response and you know, moving your body, walking, any bilateral movements like walking or, um, you know, asymmetrical yoga poses or flows or shaking your body. Um, I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, it might not feel like what you want to do, but just put on Lizzo radio and just shake <laughs> your ass for a bit and you will feel better. And, you know, I think that first kind of tending to that movement, that jitteriness, that itchiness, the squirrely, like, oh my gosh, I have to do something now, putting out, you know, if you immediately jump to like, okay, I'm just going to sit down and sit with this. Um, that's really hard to do. It's kind of like if you've ever tried to hold a beach ball under the water, you can do it for a while, but it's going to pop out some point. And usually when it pops out, you have no control mm. where it goes. Mm -hmm. um, and so creating that opportunity for release and then I think that as you kind of lend or as you build this practice, you can kind of sense that bell curve of, okay, I'm getting this out. It feels really good. Okay. It feels like it's starting to lessen. Okay. I'm feeling more calm and then moving into a place of, as your body is saying, okay, we're more calm. Then you bring in the stillness and the mindfulness and the meditation and sit with like, what was, what was that? Why was I so anxious? What was my body telling me? What did my body think was happening? That's when you have the access to the information, but you first have to kind of move that energy out of the way. Totally. I love that. I just came up with a framework for you. <laughs> it's like release, reduce, replenish, right? So like mm -hmm. first you're releasing that you can have it. It's yours. You're welcome. Release the movement, right? Because going from anxiety whether it's like a chronic anxiety or an acute moment of anxiety, which I've had for the first time ever over the last few years, which is really jarring, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm really glad I had my practices to get into that. But trying to go from that moment of like, oh, shoot, something's happening to sitting and trying to meditate was a no go. Like mm -hmm. I had to dance, I had to walk, I had to do something. And then I could just, okay, once it's calmed down a little bit, then you can go into like, okay, maybe I can journal now, maybe I can mm -hmm. lay on the floor now, because when you're trying to go from like 60 miles an hour to zero, your body is not there. Like it's an mm -hmm. actual physical experience of the thoughts have created, you know, chemicals in your body that are doing things and you can't just stop it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a beautiful little way to start to both. And like, you don't have to do one or the other. Yeah. I do think there's a misguided almost conception of like meditation will fix everything. Well, yeah, but if you can't even get into it without feeling physical symptoms of like wanting to just jump out of your skin, 
which mm-hmm. can happen even with the most practiced, you know, yogi meditators. Like even you sit down, you're like, I can't sit today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can push through that, of course. But I think that both and approach can be really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. So I love that. So can we practice the examples of like that embodied yes and no and how you would walk someone through if someone's really maybe just pre- you know starting to play with being more connected being more embodied be getting back into their body assuming that there's no like and we don't have to fully get into this whole like um topic of trauma I think it's a whole separate conversation that needs mm-hmm. to be addressed fully I don't want to just mention it in a sentence yeah but assuming that you are wanting to just feel like just a simple embodiment practice what could mm-hmm. it feel like Mm-hmm. Well, I think you kind of mentioned it, but one of my favorite um, entry points, especially because I think a lot of people, you know, if I say, how do you feel in your body right now? Um, a lot of people don't know. And not mm-hmm. only do they not know, they don't know what to go looking for. Um, and then kind of a typical next thought is like, oh, maybe I'm bad at this, or oh, maybe I can't do it, or oh, maybe my body isn't giving me any information. Um, and so as it, as it goes, sometimes it's nice to like lean into the extremes a little bit, just so that it feels um, accessible and maybe a little bit more obvious. Um, and then you can kind of move into um, the more nuanced layers. But um do you, I mean, do you want me to like full on lead this or do you want sure. me? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. Lo- if you're willing to, I'd love to. Okay. Well, um, I don't, I can't see you. So <laughs> finding, finding like in a comfortable position. Okay. Um, and hands on body, whether that's, you know, your hands pressed into your thighs or maybe one on your chest and one in your belly. And if you're listening and you want to follow along in your safe place to do that, obviously not driving. <laughs> Please follow <laughs> along. I am, I have my one hand on my heart and one hand on my belly. Perfect. And then maybe just taking yourself through three really nice deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth, like you're blowing out a candle. Maybe making any adjustments that you might need, rolling your shoulders up and back, dropping them away from your ears releasing tension in your jaw and just letting yourself land a little bit. And, and really quick, a scan of if there's any sensations happening in your body from this neutral place and just noting them. And then in the theater of the mind, thinking about Maybe your favorite food and your favorite person and your favorite place and like your most ideal day. You're wearing your favorite outfit or a color you really like. Something really exciting is about to happen in your life. And as you're painting this kind of ideal picture, just noticing what shifts in your body. Do you feel a warmth? an openness, maybe kind of an inclination to lean toward. Do your hands want to go palm up like you're about to receive something? Does your belly soften? It's noticing what yes 
feels like in your body. Yes, I want that. Yes, I'd like that. Yes, let's do that. And just gathering up these little pieces of information. And then putting a pin in them. We're going to come back to that. And I want you to, as I, as I say this next part, pay careful attention to the shifts that happen in your body. Your least favorite food. The worst place you've ever been in. The worst relationship. A terrible boss. The least favorite weather. Something you're dreading doing. What's the shift that happens in your body? Do your limbs feel like cement? Do you feel repulsed or like you want to contract? Is there tension somewhere? Do your fists want to clench? Is there a little furrow between your brows? Noticing the ways your body is saying, no, thank you. I'm good. I'll pass. Sitting with those sensations, gathering them up. And putting a pin in it. And now that we have those two reference points, what yes feels like and what no feels like, um, Yes. Okay. So now that we have kind of those reference points of what yes feels like and what no feels like, bringing to mind some sort of choice point or decision or opportunity or relationship or conversation that's kind of upcoming in your life. Okay. And just noticing when you think about that thing or that experience, what happens in your body? Does it feel more like yes? Or does it feel like no? Does it feel like an opening and that there's a softening in your body, like you are ready to receive it? Or is there a protective restriction? Are you pulling back? Are you wanting to move away? And it might be subtle. And it might take a couple times to sit with for it to become really clear. But just noticing what information is there. I think that's the important thing is knowing that your body will tell you and is telling you if you can slow down and listen. But maybe taking a couple more big deep breaths as you come back into the room. Wiggle your fingers and toes. Kind of bring your whole self back online. And I'd be curious to hear what you noticed. 
Yeah, that was really good. So the the yes was very, very clear. And I'd love for listeners to reflect on this as well, like maybe even jot down some notes, because sometimes we just think we know, but I was surprised by some things. Like for me, the yes felt very bubbly and light and warm in my chest. And I actually started jiggling like a yes. Kind of like when I eat something really delicious, I'm like, oh, it's excited. I could feel that excitement coming. I was actually smiling, like an actual smile on my face. Um, I felt like... I don't know. I just felt joy kind of all over my body, very like light and delicious. And then with the no, I was instantly frowning. <laughs> like I couldn't <laughs> even control it. Like my no- nose was flaring. My And as soon as you said, does your body feel like cement? I literally felt like it was like I was so stiff mm. and like repelling it, you know, it yeah. just felt very clear. And so when I pinned that and then we moved into like the decision, I had a little like, I definitely felt a little joy, but very quickly I felt almost like a fear bubble pop up. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that's where when you gave the permission to, you know, you might need to do this a few times, maybe go for a walk, maybe like get into your body first, really Mm -hmm. not just like, because I think some decision from an overwhelmed place, it's really hard to discern what I'm feeling. Like, Mm -hmm. am I feeling fear? Am I feeling trepidation? Am I feeling excited? Am I feeling nervous? Am I discomfortable, uncomfortable, because uh-huh. some, maybe something edgy or new is exciting, yeah. but also my body's like, eh, yeah. no. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So well, and I, I think, think having that practice is really important. Yeah. And you had kind of touched on that earlier, but, you know, sometimes, and this, this is where there's nuance and also, you know, this, it's easier to discern this through, you know, a prolonged practice, but sometimes your body's like, uh-uh, nope, 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 nope but it's because of, it's a new experience or it's because mm. you are still really married to this limited belief around your capability or your worth. Um, and so, you know, there are layers there and like, like everything else, it's not black and white. Um, and I also want to recognize that, you know, not every decision in life is as clean as a yes or a no. Mm. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I do think that you can get some, baseline information around do I feel a softening towards this opportunity or do I feel restricted by this opportunity um and sometimes you can kind of like flow chart it essentially so like for what came up with you today like okay this fear bubble so then the next time you do it like instead of thinking about the opportunity or the choice like bring into your you know, when you come back to that middle space, like if you focus in on what that, what was that fear bubble? Is that expansive and expansiveness is scary? Or is I, is there fear because this isn't for me and it's not safe? Oh, that's a great distinction. And then one other distinction came up as you were speaking, which is what if I focused on the outcome, not the process? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes the process can feel scary if it's something you haven't done before, or if you're investing money or if you're you know going to a place you've never been before it can bring up some of those natural sort of fearful things doesn't mean it's wrong it just means you're at the edge of your own discomfort but do I want the outcome like do I want the finished thing mm-hmm. yes I do I want yeah. I, do I want the like imagine you know say I'm speaking on a new stage or something and I've been I've never been there before and it's really edgy and I haven't talked about this before and but I, what I, if I can envision a positive outcome, yeah, I want mm-hmm. that. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to move through using other tools and, you know, practice and things like that. The, everything I can do to make it as best as possible or a best of experience as possible, 
and the outcome does make me joyful, then yeah, I'm going to work on that because I think there is a, a place for leaning into that discomfort, uh-huh. <laughs> leaning into the edge because we are, I don't know, we want to grow. We want to evolve, right? We want to yeah. do things that stretch our capacity to do new things. And that's not always going to feel like sitting around wrapped in a warm blanket, drinking tea. <laughs> it's going to feel <laughs> edgy as hell. And that's a good thing, right? We did it. Yeah. And we're proud of ourselves that we have a new connection. Yeah, absolutely. And I, for some reason, what's popping into my head right now, um, I recently, in a conversation with my sister-in-law, she was talking about her, one of her children, and she said, they're still learning the distinction between, like, hurt and being, like, hurting. And, you know, I think of, like, you know, okay, it hurts if you stub your toe, but you, you know, you're not, like, hurt as in you're forever maimed. And in the same sense is as you're building these experiences, you know the difference between, okay, your legs hurt because you hiked 10 miles yesterday is different than, oh, I'm injured. And in the same way, you start to kind of build that ability to discern, like, is this fear growth-oriented fear? Or is this fear informing me to kind of take a step back? And, you know, as the more you can tap into your essentially willingness to sit with the information that's presented. And then the longer you sit with it, the more you can drop into the the layer underneath it too. Yeah. And I love how you called it growth oriented discomfort or growth oriented fear. It's so important to distinguish which one you're experiencing, because if you allow it to stop you, you'll just stay where you are. Right. And, and that's okay. Listen, there, there are totally seasons where you're going to do that. So you also have to be in in honest communication with yourself too, because sometimes we do need a season of not stagnation, but pause. Like we mm-hmm. talked about way at the beginning of this conversation, that pause is crucial because your timeline, your development, your growth, your risk capacity is going to be unique to your life and what you're willing to do now, what you're mm-hmm. willing to invest in. That's not always a yes. Sometimes it's a yes, but not now. Mm-hmm. And that's okay too. Like that's a really powerful thing to say. Yes, but not today. Yes, but not next. Yes, but next year, (laughs) you know, like, it's such a practice to be with yourself. And I think the more you practice being embodied, the more you're confident in allowing yourself to have your pacing, your rhythms, your experience. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, So as we wrap up, and thank you so much for walking me through that. I've done it many times in different circumstances. And I always feel like I learn something new about my reaction. And Mm -hmm. I think if as simple as it is, it's deceptively simple. It's a very powerful (laughs) practice. Mm -hmm. So let's let's uh, wrap up with two things. One is share one or two of your favorite like embodiment practices. You Mm -hmm. know, mine is always dance for sure. Um, what, what is yours? And then I'd love to know like what you're excited about in your work right now and where people can find you. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think that dance or I don't know, dance might be a generous, uh, definition of what I do. Um, (laughs) just moving. Um, I think that I've really, over the last couple of years, I've really tapped into it. I suppose it could potentially be defined as ecstatic dance. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's essentially moving my body in more primal ways as opposed to, you know, like long lines of modern dance or ballet. (laughs) Um, But really a lot of uh, shaking, essentially, um, and jumping up and down and really um, 
moving and thinking about, I, I think a lot of times I'll tell clients, um, you know, jump up and down and shake your hands. Like you're trying to dry yourself off without a towel. Mm, love that. Um, and it's surprising how good it feels. Yeah. And yeah. especially when you can move through that initial little like glob of resistance around like, oh, this is stupid or, oh my gosh, I look silly. Um, if you can push through that, then you can access that part where your body's like, oh, thank you. These are the kind of movements that help me move through feelings. Um, and then I think from, from a slower perspective or a more, you know, kind of on the down sweep of that bell curve, if I'm feeling like a really, if I'm overwhelmed by maybe a heavier emotion, so less anxiety and more, you know, um, sadness or grief. Um, I will sit on the floor Indian style with hands on my heart and just very gently and like almost imperceptibly like rock my torso forward and back, almost like you, like you're rocking a baby in a rocking chair. Um, and that simple movement is so soothing to the nervous system. Mm. And I, I hesitate to say this because I don't think expediency is like the goal, but I have found that when I, when I truly sit with that emotion and I tend to it and I offer like that safe, soothing moment to myself, I can move through things on a faster timeline. Granted, it typically also means it's more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that kind of the willingness to say like, this is asking for my attention and either I'm going to run from it and it's going to follow me all week, or I'm going to give it five minutes and it's going to feel like it's going to consume me. And then it doesn't. Mm, I love that. I love that. Or I'm just going to scroll for a while and just feel somebody else's emotion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. That's really powerful. And I think so much of our emotional like stuckness and the inability to move forward does live in, in hips, which I think mm-hmm. you and I talked about. So that, that rocking motion is like doing double duty, right? It's soothing your nervous system and it's opening your hips. Mm-hmm. And that, the hips hold that uh, emotional capacity to move forward if you sort of dive deeper into embodiment and emotions and how they're all connected and what things live in parts of your body. Yeah. It's a really powerful, powerful practice because we do end up getting very tight in our hips. Yep. And that's a really powerful way to open them up. Yeah. And there's a ton more practices too. So um, I, I think, guess, do you, well, oh, go ahead. I, well, I just, one more thing I wanted yeah. to say too, um, I think another really powerful tool and permission is it's okay if in order for you to move through something, you need to change your environment. Mm. You don't have to, because I think sometimes if we're like, I have to just stay and feel it, there's, Mm. there can be a re-traumatizing that happens. Um, And so if you feel like you're being like completely consumed by something, like go jump in some cold water or go for a walk or ask a friend to co-regulate with you or, um, you know, it's okay if you say, I'm going to tend to this. And right now I feel so overwhelmed by it that I'm going to nourish myself in a, in a way around, you know, you know, food nourishment, community nourishment, rest, like you can bolster yourself in other ways on your way to building up your 
willingness and capacity to sit with whatever's present for you. I love that. And it sounds like it, what you just said feels like a whole other conversation too. It's so important. <laughs> so I would love for people who are feeling called and drawn to your energy and your groundedness and your beautiful embodiment <laughs> to learn more about you and what you do and explore your amazing offerings. So I guess the two questions were, what are you most excited about in your business right now? And where can people find you? Um, what I'm most excited about is I think that I'm not, I think I am recently kind of um, taking a deeper, deeper dive and a bigger jump towards expanding what I offer outside of um, just one-on-one therapy and launching into some workshops and coaching um, and podcast coming this Yay, I'm oh. clapping. <laughs> so good. So good. Um, and, you know, just kind of opening up those tiers of access. Um, and I, in, you know, ideally with that building a, building a community around this work. Um, and then as far as where you can find me, I, my personal Instagram is seasons of myself and my business Instagram is seasons of ourselves. Um, my business website is just seasonsofourselves.com. Awesome. I will post all of that in the show notes and I'm sure you'll have some new followers because I, I literally feel like you scratched the surface on so many beautiful things, including embodiment and trauma embodiment. And like, we touched a little bit on like entrepreneurship and how to move through discomfort and just the relationship with your body and feelings and sitting with things and when to, when to move, when to be still, when to Mm -hmm. like, there's so much to it. I love this topic and I'm so grateful for you sharing your wisdom and your experience and walking me through an exercise that I just got, you know, discovered new layers of it too. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm grateful for your beautiful friendship and your amazing knowledge on all things somatic. And I encourage everyone to head over to at least Instagram to start to follow you, check out your new website. And I'm excited to hear about your offerings. Let's have a drink. Talk about that. (laughs) Yes, I would love that. Thank you so much for for having me and for, like I said at the beginning, um, you've been such a safe space for me to land as I build a new life out here. And I'm I'm really grateful for you. Yay. I'm so grateful for you too. And yes, we're going to plan that drink very soon. And thank you again, everyone, for being here with us and and riding through that little mini glitch. But, you know, that's part of navigating, right? You just stay with it. (laughs) We were embodied and present and just kept going. Yes. All right, Anna, thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you. Bye-bye.